Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that investigates matters to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in the program this week we look at news stories with David Campbell, including the chairman of Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance, arrested. We road test the just-released BMW X5 large SUV, and it has a wonderful new feature. And Errol Smith, Brian Smith and I take a lively look at some weird and wonderful news stories about cars and transport, including capturing Route 66 on film before it's gone. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes or Spotify. So to start things off, here's the news. The chairman and chief executive of the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance, Carlos Ghosn, and Nissan representative director Greg Kelly have been arrested for alleged financial misconduct by the Japanese Public Prosecutor's Office, after an internal investigation. Nissan's president and CEO revealed that Mr Ghosn had been taken into custody for three alleged misdemeanours revealed in a whistleblower's report. Mr Ghosn has been credited with reviving the Nissan car company and the French automaker Renault in an alliance that later expanded to include Mitsubishi Motors. Last year the three companies sold over 10 million cars. Skoda plans to double its Australian sales within the next five years to 12 to 13,000 units under a bold new strategy that will see the Czech brand increase its focus on SUVs as well as refreshing its entire model lineup. The plan will mark a dramatic sales increase for the brand that only returned to Australia in late 2007. The Volkswagen Group-owned carmaker says that it will achieve sales of more than 6,000 in Australia by the end of 2018 and hopes to sell more than 7,000 in 2019. Achieving its target of 12 to 13,000 annual sales within the next five years could see Skoda leapfrog brands such as Jeep, Lexus and Renault on the sales charts based on current figures. Much of the growth will come from new SUV models which have yet to be launched in Australia. Waymo, the secretive subsidiary of Google's parent company Alphabet, is planning to launch the world's first commercial driverless car service in early December, according to a person familiar with the plans. It will operate under a new brand and compete directly with Uber and Lyft. Waymo is keeping the name of the new brand a closely guarded secret until the formal announcement. It's a milestone for self-driving cars, but Waymo isn't planning a splashy media event and the service won't be appearing in an app store anytime soon. Instead, things will start with a number of authorised riders in the suburbs around Phoenix, Arizona. The launch of a commercial ride-hailing service will mark an end to the intense secrecy that surrounded Waymo's program, and self-driving research in general, since Google first started working on it more than a decade ago. In the UK, it has been revealed that tens of thousands of plug-in hybrids bought with the help of government grants may be burning as much fuel as combustion engine cars. Data compiled for the BBC suggests that such vehicles in corporate fleets average just 40 miles per gallon when they could have done 130. It appears that the government-subsidised plug-in cars may never have even been charged, and many drivers have never unwrapped their charging cables. The plug-in grant was introduced in 2011, 
gifting buyers up to £4,500 off new cars. The incentive helped the UK become the biggest market for plug-in hybrids in Europe. The program has now been scrapped by the UK government. In the US, the campfire is the deadliest wildfire in Californian state history, with thousands of homes being destroyed and many people being either killed or missing. In times like these, it's important to focus on the tragedies, but there can be small consolations, such as the story of a 1915 Ford Model T that emerged from the fire relatively unscathed when everything around it was destroyed. The New York Times tells the story of a family who lost everything except for two vehicles, an old Chevrolet Silverado and the Model T. The family were forced to evacuate with little notice. On their way out, they grabbed nothing but clothes, choosing to take the Model T, which was sitting on a trailer in their driveway. Miraculously, despite brush on the edges of the driveway getting burned, the classic Ford went virtually untouched, sustaining only minor paint damage. And finally, in the US, the Ford Motor Company expects to start construction on its Michigan Central Station renovation before the end of 2018. In June, Ford confirmed that it had purchased and had plans to restore the train station. It bought for $90 million and after the restoration is complete in 2022, the automaker plans to move its electric vehicle and autonomous vehicle teams into the facility. Around 2,500 Ford employees will work out of the building with another 2,500 entrepreneurs, technology companies and partners also to be housed there. And that has been the news. BMW has launched its latest X5 large SUV, the fourth generation of a vehicle that first came to Australia in 2001. Before I get into the details, there's just one thing I've got to tell you about. One significant new feature is that if you drive forward slowly into an area, the car will remember the steering movements for the last 50 metres. To back out, you only have to control the accelerator and the brake, while the car duplicates the steering movements in the reverse direction. Fantastic if you have a difficult driveway or you have to enter an unfamiliar area. The vehicle is a little higher, 19mm, and a little longer, with a wheelbase increasing by 42mm. The grille is bigger and in one piece, and there are sharper lines around the lights. There's a chamfered effect across the top of the wheel arches, front and rear, so as to give a squarer look. There is a more distinctive character line down the sides of the car, which moves up in an S-shape towards the rear of the car to give a more powerful stance. The rear lights are slenderer than the outgoing model with a three-dimension effect and cut away into the body of the car. To add to the aggressive look, there are large exterior tailpipe finishes in a trapezoidal shape. The rear tailgate is now split in two with both the upper and lower sections electronically controlled. The boot space remains the same at 650 litres with the seats folded up or 1,870 litres with seats folded down. And of course there's a 40-20-40 split in the rear seats. The extra interior space has been given to the occupants. The overall design flow of the dash layout is smooth without any features looking like a tack-on. There are two design packages, the X-Line and the M-Sport package, and three leather seat options, two of which are designed as comfort seats. 
I found these did not hold you very well from slipping sideways, and if you enjoy driving in a spirited fashion, I would always opt for the sport seat that holds you more firmly. On the launch we drove the two diesel variants. The base diesel is a 3 litre straight 6 single turbo producing 195 kilowatts and 620 newton metres of torque. It's rated at 7.2 litres per 100 kilometre for the fuel consumption and the 0 to 100 kilometre an hour time is 6.5 seconds. I think this gives plenty of performance but if you are keen to get more grunt there is the M50D based on the same 3 litre block but with 4 turbochargers and a few other improvements producing 294 kilowatts and 760 newton metres of torque. Its fuel consumption is not much more at 7.5 litres per 100 kilometres with a 0 to 100 kilometre an hour time of 5.2 seconds. We spent most of our time in the M50D, there's a surprise, and the surge of power with all that torque was immensely satisfying. You could overtake with confidence and no hill had any worry for you. An air suspension is optional and with a very good 8-speed automatic gearbox, the car tours the open road beautifully with competence, smoothness and quietness even on secondary roads. The only missing thing was the sound of a good petrol engine. The new X5 has five radar sensors, 12 ultrasonic sensors, or indeed eight with the night vision camera. Clearly they are committed to providing as much help to the driver as possible. The X5 already had an extensive range of safety features, and now this new model adds automatic speed limit assist, person and cyclist braking function and an evasive aid. It's priced from $113,000 to $150,000 plus on-road costs. The X5 has led the sales in the large premium SUV segment for more than a decade and the third generation that was released in 2013 achieved sustainable sales levels. So far this year the X5 numbers are down 28% but this is due to the run-out period and the segment in general has declined with a trend towards smaller SUVs. Other cars in the segment in decreasing order of sales include the Land Rover Range Rover Sport, Mercedes-Benz GLE Class, Lexus RS and Audi Q7. Nearly 60% of BMWs sold in Australia so far this year are SUVs, with their X3 being its top-selling vehicle. Prestige car manufacturers know that SUVs are a critical part of their fleets, and the X5 is the latest upgrade in BMW's arsenal. You're listening to Overdrive. Two quick reflections from last week. I had to drop off a car and get to the airport, so I ordered an Uber. It said it was near, then it gave a series of messages about being only one minute away, and then it cancelled. I tried ordering another one, and it said the pickup point was 400 metres away. I caught a cab, and surprisingly, both the Uber or the cab were both cheaper than the preferred option I take, which is the train where I now realise just how much the fare is set at a premium. 
I was charged a cancellation fee from Uber, but they soon dropped that after I made some representations. My frustration is that I do not know what went wrong. Was there confusion about the pickup point? Did the person give up at the last minute? I'm still trying to find out. The second reflection is that the Sydney Theatre Company is doing the play A Cheery Soul by Patrick White, and they advertised it with a Morris Minor, my first and favourite car, on the stage. I suggest that with this in the cast, it was bound to be a success, but our traffic engineer, Alan, said, I hope they don't have to bang on the B-pillars to make the trafficators work. That is a joke for our older listeners who know what trafficators are. They're the little arms that used to stick up from the side of the vehicle before blinkers were invented. This is Overdrive across Australia. And uh, let's talk some quirky news. And uh, it's always great to have on the line Brian Smith and Errol Smith. G'day, gentlemen. G'day, David. G'day, David. Errol, you have a story for us. Well, David, Route 66 might be one of the most well-known stretches of road in the world, but it has been changing with time and isn't quite what it used to be. Photographer Terence Moore has been cataloguing Route 66 the way it was intended in a selection of old cars from the era and has released his work as the book 66 on 66, which interestingly is 144 pages. I guess some of them are double spreads. And he's been driving all sorts of, uh, of, of old cars from the, uh, the 20s on oh. um, and photographing them. And it's, uh, he's done, done it all the old-fashioned way on film. I just drove from Albury to Melbourne in a Maserati and we went on old roads, on the old, well, older roads, the back roads, secondary roads, not too rough and that. It was delightful. It was just a lovely way to travel and experience the car. I don't want to go on the boring superhighway. I went on that and it just flowed beautifully. And in fact, I've just been driving in Tasmania on some of the back roads too. Modern cars make it fantastic. I've got to say, it does have the delight. But gentlemen, I don't like the idea of just photographing decay. Do you know what you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. This is a bit of a pity for Route 66 has kind of been replaced by lots of uh, interstates. The book even talks about uh, sections that have been completely bypassed and handed back to landowners. So some parts of Route 66 just don't exist anymore. So, yes, this is a bit mm. of a problem. It's, it's the old vehicles and the old kind of uh, nostalgic look back at something that is decaying. And it's very rare, I think, that somebody would do this, to, to drive it from end to end. And, and it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, what life has left on it. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Well, that's what mm. uh, the guy I met who was trying to revive Route 31 in, in the Hume Highway in well, Sydney to Melbourne. And he was trying to do that and realising that it wasn't continuous anymore. Part of it had gone, but... Driving the whole lot now is not really consistent with our modern world, but maybe doing sections of it. When we went from Albury to Melbourne, went through places like Beechworth that had an old building, the Emporium, which had a haberdashery in there. And that wasn't bad, but that had still some vibrancy about it. The trouble with a lot of pictures of Route 66 is neon signs that haven't worked for 25 or more years. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit sad. So he wants to do, perhaps do another trip with an electric car. It's an interesting approach to drive an electric car all the way. He says, 
plant trees and get the carbon footprint to a minimum and eat granola and drink organic shade-grown Samaritan coffee. Or maybe mm. not drive it at all. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just thought he was uh, taking the piss. Yeah, I suspect he was uh, having a bit of a sneer at the modern, the modern world. I'm sure the um, you know the, the the 29 Ford Tudor that he was uh, driving got you know got ex- excellent mileage compared to oh, an electric shit. car. Yeah. I've got to say, gentlemen, I don't want to drive it with great suffering with an old car. I want comfort. Mm. Yeah. I look at the around you near farmhouses. You get to see them not at a distance from a bridge on the modern motorway, but you're close to it, and the road twists and turns a little bit. You see people you wave to, and all that sort of thing. But I still want to do it with a good air conditioning, preferably a massaging seat, and something that will Bluetooth my <laughs> podcast that I want to listen to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're a bit spoiled, David. I just flew into Launceston. And I've got to say, the third oldest town in Australia. But the people there, you know, they've, they've get, there's a little bit of the hillbilly in Launceston. <laughs> the, all yeah. the guys who stood outside were holding up names to pick up people at the airport. And a number of people on the plane, quite a number, had thongs on, I must admit. But they had a grooming that doesn't represent Vogue magazine, if you know what I mean. They said the guy drove us, had a big sort of Henry Lawson moustache, but wasn't quite as well kept. The guy beside me in the plane, not a full mullet, but mullet-esque, if you know what I mean. But I don't condemn them. No, no, they were in their element and it was fine. And there's that certain element of travelling in those areas where every coffee shop, well, there's hardly any coffee shops, and they're not all that sort of manufactured modernness about it. I want one where the dear little old lady cooked the slice of cake that you get to eat. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, a, pa- a mm. Paragon mm. bar sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. David, I think Launceston was, was largely left in the 20th century and it wants to stay there. Yeah, yeah. It was a lovely little place. I don't, I don't want to travel on roads that actually have a McDonald's. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, where you can see animals, and I don't mean roadkill. Mm-hmm. Mm. The little towns along the way, maybe even an obscure bookstore or something if you get to a slightly bigger town. But generally people are happy. Uh, they're not, you know, it's not a manufactured thing. So Route 66, mm. uh, was it Bobby Troop who put the sign? I get my clicks on Route 66. Kicks, kicks on Route 66. Mm, mm. Indeed. Now, talking about driving in older cars. Now, Jaguar has just launched, they made two, so not many of them, an F-Type convertible rally car. F-Type is the modern-day E-Type. Beautiful-looking car. Loved it and that. Not a car I would consider for beetling down dirt roads. Gentlemen, I know they're celebrating the 70th anniversary of the legendary XK120 winning some races, but is it a travesty to take such a glorious work of art and turn it into a dusty, dirty environment to beat its way through the bush? I think they should. I I think this is about really using the car, and then if it's got a rally heritage and a... a Dirt racing heritage, then yeah, use it and demonstrate it. I think. Mm. Okay. Oh, yeah, you could argue this is a marketing exercise because, of course, you can now buy the um, uh, Jaguar F Type. Uh, what are they calling it? The checkered flag or something? Isn't it? Yeah, the checkered flag version, which is pretty much the same as a regular F Type, but with some checkered flags on it. Hmm. <laughs> um, 
it's actually a shame that you can't buy what they have made for the rally because they've changed it. They've actually made the suspension softer, which you don't hear very often, to handle dirt roads. Oh, okay. <laughs> it handles and lands after jumps. Hey, I've got to tell you a story. It's an apropos nothing. It's just come to mind. I was talking to a couple of journos. One of them went to America for the launch of a certain four-wheel drive product. And they were getting the driver's briefing, which typically says, be careful, obey the law, uh, consider your passengers and that. And they said, there is one point on the route instructions, which is double marked super caution. If you go over that jump, bump, too hard bump, you will end up jumping the car. The guy then took off his glasses and gave the biggest wink you could oh, have done. Really? <laughs> yes. Amazing. Oh, that's just... <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> well, it's the yeah, back roads first. or what have you. But yeah. And a, a number of colleagues said that they were uh, congratulating themselves while they were still in the air. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Now, the only thing is, gentlemen, it is a history, a, a remembrance, if you like, of a very great adventurous time. The XK120 was a horrible car. It looked elegant. <laughs> it looks looks beautiful. Yes, Elton John has a picture of one on the front of one of his earlier albums when they still made those sorts of things. And, you know, it's beautiful, sleek lines. It was made for the 1948 motor show just after the war, and so it came with this glorious idea of we've left behind this notion of this terrible war, and now we're into this world of, uh, well, I guess the baby boomers were coming, were starting to happen. Now, the thing about it was it was cramped, it was horrible, and they used to rally them, and they used to go in long-distance races. What was one of them? 3,400 kilometres. Yes, the European mm. Tulip Rally, the Pan-European Tulip Rally. In a Jaguar, yeah. So that was, what, 100 breakdowns? <laughs> <laughs> Only the electricals. No? <laughs> and then they went in the 24-hour, I think, Le Mans, and later the, the C-type and the D-type won the 24-hour. They were not comfortable cars there have been a number of sports cars rallied of course we rallied against things like the datsun 240z mm. which is mm. a lot and uh, a guy had a volvo a p1800 oh my goodness porsche Celica. they were all cars that were sort of sports cars which of course all you need is two seats and a bit of a room for a spare tyre. So uh, so Jaguar is doing that, the checkered fag edition, 139 American dollars, is it? No, $139,000, $140,000 plus on roads in Australia. We, must have a, we might get a go of one of those, will we? And ask them if we could take it onto a dirt road. <laughs> in, in tribute. See, I've just been in a... Mat- a Maserati SUV and a, a BMW X5, their new SUV, which I've talked about in the program, which, by the way, has the top-of-the-range one has four turbochargers, which okay. makes it rather nice. But you, would you ever take that onto a dirt road where the, you had brushes and that? A mate of mine went on the international launch of the Bentayga, the Bentley, and they were desperate to prove that it was a tough off-road vehicle and went on mm. beaches and down things where trees were scratching the side. He felt terrible. Heritage matters, though, doesn't it? Well, he felt nauseated that here he was fanging this, in Australia, $600,000 motor car down old dirt roads. Yes. Now, Brian, talking about adventures, you have a story of a space adventure. 
Well, we probably all re- remember the sort of galactic level littering that uh, Elon Musk did when he was uh, testing out his SpaceX uh, Falcon Heavy rocket. He fired his car, his uh, Tesla Roadster, uh, with a mannequin in it dressed in a spacesuit into space. And uh, he actually um, sent the thing so far that it's, it's orbiting out beyond Mars. And so at the moment, it is actually sitting at one of its greatest distances away from the sun. So uh, this month in November, if you're listening to us in November, um, it was something like 1.66 astronomical units away from Earth. And uh, the astronomical unit is kind of like uh, the uh, Olympic swimming pool or Sydney <laughs> Harbour measure. Um so it's 155 million miles. So it's 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 pretty much the furthest from Earth that it uh, it uh, has got, and it's um it's something like 2091 before it comes again close to Earth. At which point, I think the uh, that'll be their problem into the future. <laughs> they'll they'll be worrying now about this uh, this vintage car crashing into the Earth uh, if it survives. Interestingly. Um, the roadster itself is not expected to survive the uh, sort of ravages of space very well because it's uh, you know there'll be a whole whole bunch of uh, radiation and space debris. So by the time it comes around, it may well just be a piece of space junk, like mm. a like a dumped car with you know long grass growing up through it. Uh, it'll be that equivalent. Someone would have removed the wheels. Might <laughs> <Yes. laughs> have graffiti on it. It's sitting, be sitting on some space bricks. <laughs> on some <Yes>. space bricks. <laughs> there was that great cartoon in Mad Magazine, I think it was, around the time, way back when we first landed on the moon, the Royal Wee, uh, that they parked the car, no, one of the later ones, where they parked the car, drove it off and then walked over the horizon and came back and it was up on blocks with the m- wheels removed. <laughs> Are you telling me, Brian, are you telling me that there is this Tesla product which is full of wonderful technology that's going to fall apart in the future? Uh, I wonder what the warranty is. And you know how the the faster you go, the time slows down? Oh. I mean, if this thing goes close enough to the speed of light as it's going around, I really must say I don't know how fast it's travelling. Gentlemen, I think we're going to catch up again next week. And you know what? I really look forward to it. Thank you, David. See you, David. And that was Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking about travel, both here on Earth and into space, here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith, Errol Smith and Paul Just for their continued help in producing these programs. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes or Spotify. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>